Good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, Zita would like to remind us, or like me to remind you, that next Saturday the healing rooms are open for you to come for prayer for healing of any problem. Amen. That's at 10 o'clock for about an hour and a half. Uh, you have to come through the gates, go around to the back of the main reception doors and come through there. 10 o'clock next Saturday. Healing rooms, and there are amazing things happening. I want to tell you that we, as a church, are moving in a place of increasing favor Amen. and manifestation of the power, the word, and the spirit of God. Amen. Amen. We are moving in a space of increasing favor of the power of God's word and the spirit of God. Because God has begun to change the culture through changing our thinking. And it comes not only by the move of the Spirit, but it comes by the revelation of His Word. Truth. The Word and the Spirit. Smith Wigglesworth's prophecy in Johannesburg in 1948. The greatest end time revival will begin in South Africa. And it will be a revival of the Word and the Spirit. So this is the Word part. But let me tell you. That the word carries an anointing. Amen. That's right. It carries an anointing of fire and it carries an anointing of life. It carries an anointing of covenant, promise, and life. I'll let you into a secret. This little devotional book of mine, and this is after I've had it prepared and used it for a couple more years. It was published by the Billy Graham uh, Publishing Association, and I bought it in 1971. I want to read to you yesterday's devotional. It's in the old King James Version, so I'll bring it up to date. (laughs) The Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. He's talking about Joseph. But it's a daily devotion for you and me. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. For you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy you will be, and it shall be well with you. Trust in the Lord and do good, and you will dwell in the land, and truly you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As long as he sought the Lord, then God made him to prosper. Beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping his commands, his judgments and his statutes which I command you this day and if you say in your heart my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth is not the Lord your God with you and has he not given you rest on every side this is a recording of scripture verses from men over the centuries who have experienced what we are about to experience. (coughs) But I want to just interject before I give you some testimonies with a comment. Have you got that? Have you got that chorus? All right. Let's see if it comes up. 
Kathleen comments this morning on a phrase that I never said. He gives and takes away. That comes out of Job's sins. And Job repented of his lack of revelation of who God was. Because he thought that God was taking his children, God was taking his goods, God was taking his house, God was taking his, his uh, cattle, and it was actually Satan. So he had a wrong revelation of God. Job happens to be the oldest narrative record of debate of the whole of the Bible. It was carried down through the generations from the days of the... Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Job was about the third generation from Noah. Yeah. One of his advisors was a grandson of Noah. Yeah. <laughs> In those days they had a revelation of, uh, of Shaddai. That was what they called the Almighty. Yeah. And Job is written to give us a revelation of who God wanted to be, but could not be because of lack of revelation. The apostles make a difference. Jesus himself made a difference and said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul says that the Lord will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've got to be careful. Don't get your theology from psalms who don't have up-to-date apostolic revelation. How is it possible that the whole of the book of Job could be carried down through generations by word of mouth? In our Western day, we think that's impossible. You've got to have something better than your memory. Um, Miranda. Is it Miranda? Miranda. Miranda is married to a young man called Winslow. He's an ex-Jehovah. He was trained by the age of 13 to remember the whole of the Quran. That's the tradition of the Eastern religions. That's how the book of Job came down to us. In these days, we need to turn to the scriptures to get a revelation of who God is. Can you switch over to my slides, please, Shane? You see... From the days of Luther, God has been restoring over about 500 years new creation reality truth. New Testament truth. And since the 1900s, God has accelerated the restoration of experience of truth. But one of the foundational truths is that we need to learn what the apostles say about our relationship with God. So you can go to the first slide, but I, and I'll start using this after you've got it. Oh, I've got it. Maybe I can Okay, you've got the first slide. We're going to read from James, and then we're going to go into chapter 2. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith... We're going to be looking at faith today. I want to speak to people who are growing in an experience of what faith means to the Christian. I want to look for people that have got an expectation for something greater than what they have experienced in the past in God. 
I'm looking for champions of the future. I'm looking for people that are walking into the favor of God and not looking at the circumstances they're living in the provisions and the promises of God. Amen. Amen. And that comes to us, as we will learn, through experiencing trials and the testing of our faith. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Complete means becoming fully fruitful in your faith, through patience. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives generously and does not rebuke you for your failures when he gives it to you. That's what the reproach means, okay? But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. We dealt with doubt last week. Doubt can defeat great faith. Little faith can defeat most obstacles and opportunities. But little doubt will defeat great faith. So nothing doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the circumstances around him. My brothers... We're jumping now to chapter 2. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. I want you to think in terms of the way that the apostles think. When they talk about the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're not talking about one of five major religions of the world being the faith. Yeah. Right? Alongside Islam, alongside Judaism, alongside Buddhism. Alongside Hinduism. It's not that kind of thing that he's talking about. The faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is something that Jesus died and was raised again to release the power of by the faith that God birthed in him for us. We receive the same spirit of faith that raised Jesus from the dead. By the Spirit, Amen. imparted into us, yeah. so that the born-again Spirit in you becomes the Spirit of Christ in you. Yes. And that Spirit of Christ is joined to the Lord Amen. by the life of the Spirit. And you are one Spirit with Him. Amen. And that means you and I have access. We'll talk about how that dimension works later. But look at this. We must not have an experience of faith and be partial in who we want to relate to. Listen, hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? I want to say that the poor people here have got an opportunity to become rich in faith and to show us what God can do so that we who are just middle class, mediocre Christians will be surprised at what God does in your life. Amen. I can speak with authority about mediocre middle-class Christians because my cousins, third-generation Pentecostals, who grew up with their grandfather and their parents knowing the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth. That's how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth and George and Stephen Jeffries. A little story. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth in the healing line. He had no eyeballs. He came forward for prayer. Smith prayed for him and he said, you're healed in Jesus' name. The guy left and says, no, nothing's happened. He says, you haven't yet got the faith, but I've got the faith. (laughs) Well, 
couple of weeks later, he goes to a, um, he goes to a meeting where uh, Stephen Jeffries is, is preaching, and he has a healing line. This guy comes forward, now eyeballs. He looks at this guy and says, I haven't got the faith for this, but I'm going to pray. Boom! The eyeballs pop up in his eyes. <laughs> That's the kind of experience yeah, come on, man. that God wants to release again yes. in revival in South Africa. Since the early 1900s, God sent a wave of power-filled Christians that went and opened uh, churches by the hundreds in months. And yet the usual story of missionaries, I'm I'm a missionary child. I grew up in a family of missionaries. My dad's two brothers and he were missionaries to South Africa from from England. And I, I grew up in that culture. We know Rainer Bonker personally from since 1966. And we know the culture. And I want to tell you that there's a sad story that many missionaries give years of their lives before they get a breakthrough. And usually it's because they do not know the dimensions of the Spirit, yes. the authority of intercessory prayer with travel, and the authority of casting out demons with the Word of the Lord. They don't know it. Yeah. But where we start is this. God can take the poor of this world and he can start with a poor man, he can make him rich in faith, and he can make him a national hero. I think in God's sense of humor, he took a young Nelson Bolivala Mandela in a Methodist mission school and trained him and uh, coached him for a future to change South Africa. You see, you don't have to be a person who is great in uh, spiritual, dynamic, charismatic gifts, but you have to be willing to follow the road that the Lord opens to you and give yourself totally to the destiny. Okay, so I want to talk about being rich in faith. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he's got faith but he doesn't have works? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of faith, they can see the one who says to him, depart in peace, be warned and but you do not give him the things which are needed. What does it profit? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So there's a, an overflow in our Christian experience that is at the moment stunted. There's an overflow of provision that God wants to open up and release in the churches. But somehow we're stunted because we don't have faith that if we share too much with others, we won't have enough for ourselves. And so we have to learn how the Lord will take us into that by faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. Now this is is what uh, uh, Luther started to take umbrage with when he said that the epistle of James is the epistle of straw. Because he didn't understand what James was talking about. We're going to look into what James was actually talking about, and we're going to learn from uh, some of the illustrations in the, in the life of Abraham. So, he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I believe that many, many Christians believe that if they believe and tell you what they believe, 
then you will have to believe, and you'll convince, you'll be convinced to believe what they believe, and that's evangelism. <laughs> Say that again. Many <laughs> Christians believe that what they believe is sufficient to them to tell you what they believe, so that you, if you hear what they believe, you will eventually believe, and then you believing will be what accomplishes evangelism. And we're talking about worldviews. Yeah. We're talking about mindsets. I want to tell you, without the power of the Spirit confirming yeah. the Word of God in a Christian, yes. then a Christian can relate to all of your doctrine and speak all of your teachings out about salvation, identity, and all those sort of things. But if the power of the Spirit doesn't change the man in his heart and doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit, there will be no power in that person's life. Exactly. Oh Lord. That's why James says, I want to show you the faith that I've got by how it works. He's not talking about works to earn righteousness with God. Luther missed that. And we'll see it in Abram's life. We'll see it in Abram's life. He says. Do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abram our father justified by works? This is what Luther took umbrage at. He said, no, he's justified by grace. It's by grace alone. Just like it's scripture alone. Uh, what happened to the Holy Spirit with scripture? Yeah. Mm. Yes, the scripture alone is our foundation for our Christian life and our Christian doctrine. We must always go back to the scripture because the Lord, by his sovereign power, has preserved the canons of scripture for us to have a record of what he has done, what he said, and who he is, and how he wants to relate to his people. We need to always go back to scripture. But it's not scripture alone that we need. We need the life of the Spirit. So, we have to look into this phrase... What did James mean when he says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And then he says, he's talking about the time when he had to go to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. So we're going to look at that. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? When Abram had to take Isaac to sacrifice him. He had to do something in obedience to God. And his faith was working together with his works. By works then, his faith was made fully effective. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is seen as righteous before God by his works and not by faith only. It doesn't matter how many Bible schools you go to, how many Bible degrees you get. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Let me tell you that if you and I do not have the life of Christ in us to impart the grace and life of Jesus to others, mm. if we just got information, it's not going to produce transformation. Yeah. Yes. It's going to produce indoctrination. Yeah. It may not produce transformation. Yeah. But however, in spite of all that, in spite of all that, 
By the grace of God, God has still caused many people to be saved through, shall we say, preaching a doctrine that is not true gospel, like Paul says. Check out what Paul says in Romans 15 about the full gospel. I have fully proclaimed the gospel in word and deed, in mighty signs and wonders. Okay. So, by the grace of God, people are still saved with a message. But we, we think that the goal of the gospel is to get us to go to heaven when we die. That is not the heart desire of the Father alone. Yeah. The heart desire of the Father is that there should be many sons that reflect the full image of Jesus Christ living here on earth. Amen. The earth is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be manifested yes. to show the life and the power of the Word and the Spirit that was in Jesus. Yeah. Is also Amen. 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 So what I'm saying is that uh, James, <laughs> this is actually quite wonderful, uh, apostles have got the ability to look into the Old Testament, see what God did in revealing himself in situations. And revealing truth through those situations. And then they put it across to him and say, that's what God was doing. And this is exactly what uh, James is doing here. It says, when, when um, Abram was obedient to offer up his son Isaac, and we'll see how it, uh, that story panned out. He says, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Remember the time when God came to visit Abram? And he, he came with two angels. They were going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? He had commissioned these angels to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire stone, fire, brimstone and fire falling down upon the whole, uh, the whole of the two cities in the area. But on the way, he said, I've come to actually witness it for myself and see the condition of these cities. But he says... Shouldn't I actually tell my friend Abram what I'm about to do? And the reason was that Abram's nephew Lot was living in Sodom. And so that story panned out where Abram interceded and pleaded with the Lord to save the city for the sake of righteous people that may be living there. Remember that. But it, it was God that called Abram his friend. Now, what's happening is here that the apostles are picking up these sort of things from the scripture because Jehoshaphat was the first to repeat the fact that Abram was the friend of God and Isaiah said that Abram was the friend of God. So uh, James is looking at the scriptures. He's not just building his uh, experience of God on his yeah. own yeah. spiritual experiences. Yeah. He was rooting it back in the scripture so that he was in line that the character of God could be revealed to him with clear understanding. Mm. All right? But the one thing I want you to see is when we get into this relationship of, with God of um, works that are done in faith, it opens us up for divine interventions and supernatural works. Just this week, you heard of a, a couple that are living, or it's two ladies that are living in Hamilton. The Lord has told them, told them last October, that they've got to move to the bay and they've got to come and live here in Duesenberg. And they've been coming to the bay. And just this week, they had within a space of five days, uh, uh, though they've been looking for about three months, 
uh, on Monday, they had an opportunity to go and look at a place here in Marina de Gama, and they can't afford much in Marina de Gama. And then the, the agent had to disappoint him. He said, no, it's already gone. You can't go. But this lady got it in her heart to say, yeah. I'm going to hold on. She got a witness of faith in her spirit. Yes. Faith yeah. is the substance yes. of things hoped for, the evidence yes. of things not seen. Yeah. Yonggi Cho said, it's like a pebble in my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> the evidence of this stuff. Yeah. Okay. So she got that. Friday she got a call from the estate agent to say that the, the whole deal on Monday has collapsed. They can have the house. She's got to collect the keys today. I just praise God for what he's done for Andy and Anna. Andy and Anna, living in rented accommodation here in Musenberg, the Lord provided for them to actually buy a house here, though they're not even South African citizens. Yeah. Just three months ago, just like that, the deposit came out of nowhere and provided for them. I just heard from, from uh, another brother uh, this morning that his wife has been looking for a car and asking the Lord for a car. She's got no money. And this week, the Lord provided a car for them. I want to tell you, God is bringing us, God is bringing us into what... Uh, Isaiah 61 talks about yes. when Jesus uh, read in Nazareth from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. Yeah. And the scripture actually, actually ends with, uh, that part of the scripture ends with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Yeah. The acceptable year is the year of Jubilee. It's the 50th year where all debts are cancelled. Yes. Jesus didn't preach at them. But I want to tell you that God is doing things. Dawn yes. and I were, mar were married 50 years ago in 1969 in November. Yeah. This is our jubilee year. Yeah. For the last five years we've been talking about... I've been talking. She has been resisting. I've been talking. <laughs> I've been saying we're in a physical transition. The Lord's telling me we've got to get ready to make transition. Yeah. And we didn't know how we're going to do it. Because we've got a big house. Our sister, it's a big house. Cecil, just wave at me if you agree. Yeah, sure, <laughs> just want to say that Cecil and his kingdom builders guys have come yes. to just go through the house, Amen. do the maintenance, and yeah. I am so impressed with the work. You can trust these guys. Something happened three months ago where... My son who lives around the corner said, Dad, we're going to make intervention. We're going to assist to sell the house. And out of the house is not enough money to actually buy another place for us to stay and for us to have some of the investment benefit that you would normally take when you sell a house towards the end of your life. Believe Although I'm not believing for the end of my life, I'm believing for another 20 years of success. Uh, success yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking for 120 before he died. And he didn't die weak. Yes. The Lord took him. Yeah. That's where the Lord decided to take one man. Okay? Yeah. That's not the devil taking him. The devil wanted to take him. The Lord wouldn't let him take him. Yeah. Okay. So I'm believing for... 20 more years at least of successful ministry. But I want to tell you, at, the, at this stage of our lives, many of us who are in the 70s have got to think about these big decisions. And it's better for you to make a decision that you can control rather than let things happen and you lose control and other people take decisions for you. Okay? That's better. Well, my son came along and said, Dad, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to get a house that is practically rent-free 
and we're going to get our investment out of the house that can be used towards keeping us as a retirement annuity. Now, that's a blessing for us. But wait a minute. Our 50th anniversary is in November. The other two sons in America decided, Dad, we'd like to pay tickets for you to come over and be with us for Christmas and New Year. I want to tell you, it feels like we're in a place of favor. And I'm looking at signs of what God is doing people's lives where we're in a place of favor. Okay? We're in a place of favor. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So let's quickly look at, I want to look at probably two stories in Abram's life. Now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country. Did you notice that his, his name there is called Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And on all you, and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's right. So Abram left his home and his father's house and he went as the Lord had spoken to him. This was Abram's step of obedience. That's the first sign of working in a person. Obedience to the word of the Lord. What does faith look like? Let's look at the apostles, what they write in Hebrews chapter 11. When they write about Abram, they say, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What kind of man is Abram And who is Abram against Abraham? Well, this was his father, Terah. Abram's father was called Terah. It means his name is the same as a a place that is called a desert. That means not fruitful. That means that there's no water. That means that there's no prosperity. Abram was his first son. And he named him Exalted Father. Nahor was his second son. His name, name means Snorer. <laughs> I think you say something like this. Nahor. Can you imagine these two brothers? Haran or Horon means mountaineer. The third son is a, was a mountaineer because or was named mountaineer, and I'm sure that the Lord allowed these names to be chosen by their fathers because He was revealing Himself to them, and they had prophetic inspiration when they named their kids. Right? That man Haran was destined to live in the high places. All right, Abram married Sarai, or they say Sorai. That's in the Hebrew. That means dominative. Not diminutive. Diminutive means small. Dominative means that she was a difficult woman. <laughs> the theologians were very kind to her. They said it means princess. <laughs> Every one of the commentaries said it means princess. So in other words, she was somebody that would expect everybody else to do what she said. Okay? Alright? Nahor married Mokar, or Mokal, and she had a, a similar word, queen. Look at all of these. Queen, princess, exalted father, mountaineer in the desert. When they left Ur in, of the Chaldees, Ur means a region of the Chaldees. 
The Chaldees is a, a geographical area where everybody was totally pursuing astrology. They worshipped the stars as their god. The sun and the moon were divinities. They had this astrological religion that they pursued, and that to them was God. They would forecast their futures according to the stars, things like that. There were a bunch of astrologers, and in the middle of this, Abram had an encounter with God where God revealed himself to Abram and gave him that promise that we read. So Abram decided, I'm out of here. I can leave the astrology behind, and I'll go and follow the word of the Lord. All right? So he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he received as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. This is what faith looks like. Faith looks like obedience when God speaks. Obedience when God speaks. Now be careful. When God speaks, there are two words in the Greek for the word of the Lord. There's logos and rhema. Rhema means the inspired word that the Spirit brings to us. And Logos means the captured word, which could be the Scriptures. The easiest way to think about it is that the the Bible has captured the word in writing for us. So if you get a rhema word, a word word that you think is a rhema word from the Spirit inspiring you, you better make sure that it aligns with the Logos. That's right, exactly. Because if you've got a word that's different to what is in here, it's not the same Spirit of God. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's not the same as what's in here. Yeah. Then it's not the same spirit that's inspiring you with a word that could be deception. Yes. Okay? Now, this happens even in the charismatic churches. It happens when people get an idea and they like this idea, so they go and pursue teachers that agree with their idea. Yeah. The question that I've got is are those teachers known to you relationally? So you can see what the fruit of their lives is. And you can see that they, through faith and patience, are inheriting the promises. Alright? Now I'll tell you why. It's important to realize that God is causing a sifting to separate truth from deception. And we need to be ready to obey the word of the Lord. So by faith he dwelt or he lived in the land of promise. He lived in the land of promise. What was the land of promise called? Can you remember? Can you remember what it was called? The land that God promised to Abraham? What was was it called? Canaan. Canaan. Well, we call it Canaan in our English pronunciation. Uh, In Hebrew it's, it's the land of Canaan. K-N-A-H-N. Canaan. Canaan was the grandson of Noah. Canaan was the man whose child, sorry, who, who was cursed by Noah because his father Ham had disgraced Noah sexually. One way or another. And covered his nakedness, is what the scripture says. Ham and his son, Canaan, were cursed. Because the word Canaan means humiliation. The land that God was sending Abram to was a land that was corrupt with sexual immorality and worship of sexuality. 
The land that Abram was going to be given as his inheritance was being corrupted by the Canaanites. And in fact, when God spoke to uh, Abram about it and said, You're gonna, there's going to be 400 years, your, your children, your descendants will go down to Egypt and will there until they come back to this land because the fullness of the wickedness of the Amorites is not complete. Things get worse and worse when we turn away from God when he talks about sexuality. Sexuality is one of the first things that Satan uses to bring corruption into a community. The reason is that God wants a righteous, holy seed. That's why the marriage bed is undefiled. Because it's blessed by the covenant of marriage under the name of God. God's in the covenant of marriage. He brings protection. He brings spiritual authority. He brings provision in the covenant of marriage. But when people get involved outside of the covenant of marriage, they open themselves up to spiritual adultery and to spiritual forces which will keep them together as long as they live in deception. But if they try to ratify it in the covenant, then the same spirit of adultery will destroy that marriage. I've seen it coming again. By faith he lived in that land of promise and he waited for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. These are the three things. Obedience, doing what his word told Abram to do, doing what the word requires you to do, and patience to wait with perseverance because that develops a desire for what God wants. God's desire is for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And that emerged under David's kingdom and Solomon's kingdom in Jerusalem. It emerged like that. And God's going to do the same thing on the earth in these days. Some way to show as a witness to what his God is like. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed because she judged him faithful who had promised. Look at this. It's important for a couple in marriage to be agreed. Yes. While Dawn was resisting about the idea of, res- of transition with the house, then we're waiting. We're waiting. But the Spirit led us and prepared us in amazing ways. We painted the outside of the house. We did things in the house just in the last two or three months, and then suddenly our son comes with this proposition that changes the whole picture. And then we realized that we're being led by the Spirit to do the right things to get ready. Got a show house today, by the way. Believe God with us. Okay. So, she agreed because she judged God faithful because it happened this way. God confirmed his covenant with Abraham and told him because he was so frustrated he did not have an heir. How was he going to become a father that would bless all the families of the earth if he didn't have family, if he didn't have his own children? Hagar, being the kind of princess that she was, she makes an arrangement of her own. She says, you can take my handmaiden Hagar and you can have a child by him. That will fulfill the promise. God said, no, no, that's not going to fulfill the promise. In Isaac, your seed will be called. That's what the word says. But this is the way that it happened. So God came to confirm it, and Abram 
entered into a confirmation of his covenant with God. Too much detail to, to, that we've got time for now. Entered into his covenant relationship with God. And God confirmed it and he said, this is what you must do. I'm changing your name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of nations. Father of nations. I'm changing your name to father of nations, Abraham. And then he says, and your wife shall not be called Sarai, she will be called Sarah. What did God do? He took a syllable out of his own name and he put it into Abraham's name and he put it into Sarah's name. From that time, this exalted father that's got no children of his own is going around telling people that he's been promoted to be a father of many nations. And yet he's got no heir of his own. What's worse is his dominative wife that's got to go around telling everybody that she's now Sarah. So she was doing it, but she really didn't believe in her heart. Because when God came with the angels to tell Abel about the destruction of Sodom, she heard God confirm that promise to Abram because she was eavesdropping at the tent door. Okay? And when she heard it, she laughed. And God heard her laughing. He said, why did she laugh? And she said, no, but I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. I heard you. You laughed. <laughs> and then she said, shall I at this old age have the joy of a child? And God said, surely at the time of life, you'll have a child. And you'll call his name Isaac. <laughs> you know what Isaac's name means? Laughter. Joy. Laughter. When Sarah agreed with Abraham, God could do supernatural things in their lives. A man that was over 99, a woman that was probably 90 or more, that no longer could bear children, no longer conceive children. God did a supernatural... This is, the, this is the message. In another place, Abimelech the king had taken Sarai into his own harem because she must have been some amazing poppy. No. <laughs> the Afrikaans people know what poly, poppy is. Poppy means dolly bird. Okay. They call my wife Poppy. When we go to a South African church in London, they call it, guys, here's another Poppy. Dolly Bird. She must have been something really good to look at. But God protected Sarah by giving disease to to Abimelech's people. And Abimelech wanted to find out what was going wrong. Well, one night, God steps into his bedroom and says, you're a dead man. Because you've taken another man's wife into your home. God protected the covenant that he made with Abraham. That Abimelech wanted to take advantage of her because actually Abraham had lied. She was his stepsister. So he, told, he, she, he told the king Abimelech that she was his sister because he was acting in fear, not in faith. All right? He was acting in fear, not in faith. So it was half-truth, because she was born of a different mother, the same father. Okay? So 
God honored his covenant with Abram, stepped into the room and cut it dead because God wants to preserve the seed from unholiness. Let me tell you, if Abimelech had had sexual intercourse with Sarai, the whole plan would have been dished because the womb would have been made unholy. No holy seed. It's one of the stra- one of the strategies of Satan. So God protected him, and she agreed. And because of her step of agreement, that was an act of faith on her side. Here's a wonderful thing. Therefore, this is what the Hebrews writer uh, the Hebrews writes. Therefore, for one man, and him as good as dead, that's Abraham, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, immutable as the sand which is by the seashore. And there's a prophetic symbolism in that which we don't have time to go into. And great faith is tested to become greater faith. Whatever you're going through at the moment, whatever circumstances you're facing in pursuing your walk with God, where the desires of your heart are not yet coming to pass, where your growth is being stunted, where you feel that your fellowship with God is cut off, where you're feeling isolated, where you feel the spirit of heaviness on you, where you feel that you, your words are not powerful, where you feel that you cannot receive the word of God, where you feel that you cannot give of yourself, where you feel you've got no capacity, when you feel so spiritually weak and you feel rejected that you even condemn yourself. In circumstances like that, yes. yeah. Job yes. said, Yes. I will bless yes. the name of the Lord. That's right. That's Job right. said, I will bless the name of the Lord. And Abram spoke out his word, the new name, and Abraham, the father of many nations. And Sarai spoke out her name, I'm Sarah. What's happening? They are getting their words in agreement with the faith that God is giving them because they're, uh, they're respecting the word of so much that they're willing to speak it out. They respect the word so much that they're willing to speak it out against the circumstances. Great faith is tested to become greater faith. And when Abram was tested with Isaac, it happened this way. He had an ability to recognize the word of the Lord even when there was painful sacrifice. Remember that God had said to Abraham, in Isaac your seed shall be called. That means that you're going to have a big family that will go from generation to generation, will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. And it's going to come through Isaac, not to Ishmael. Remember that. When Abraham got the instruction to give up his only son, he remembered this promise of God. So he respected the promise but he respected the word of the Lord more. As he wrestled with these two things, is God going to take my son now? Is God going to kill me? Or is God going to make me kill my son? Is God really asking me to sacrifice my son on an altar of fire just to please him? Is God really like that? And he said, no, something's got to happen. Something will work out. I've got to believe that God is better and he will keep his covenant promise. That in Isaac, he will fulfill the covenant. He'll choose to do that. So his sacrificial giving on Isaac worked out this way. He took a donkey, he took fire in a pot, he took wood upon the donkey, and he took his son and two servants. 
And he walked to a place where God wanted to show him. It was Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mount is now, in Jerusalem. He went there. And on the way, he began to see the mountain. And he asked the servants to wait. And he said this, wait here with the horses. The child and I will go up and worship. In his heart, all he's got is that God has told him that he's got to sacrifice his son. And he's saying, we're going to go and worship God. It's respect for the word of God and respect for the character of God. That's what you said this morning. About who God is to you. So on the way up, young Isaac says to his dad, Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where is the sacrifice? What does Abram say? He said, Son, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. Or a lamb. He said, He'll provide for himself a lamb. That is so prophetic of Jesus. So prophetic of Jesus. There are guys that have looked at this and they understand that there was a way that God had to come in to have authority in humanity so that he could send Jesus as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And what he had to do was he'd made a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, the covenant says that God can ask Abraham anything and Abraham would have to give it to him. And God would honor Abraham when Abraham asked anything. So when God asked for Isaac, <laughs> he gave him his only son tied on the altar with the fire ready to go and the knife lifted in the air to strike his son dead. And at that time, the voice of God comes out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not kill the child. For now I know that you fear me and will withhold nothing. <laughs> that's where the song comes from withholding nothing faith often requires sacrificial giving and there's a mixture of pain in our hearts and minds when we have to go way beyond the limits of anything we've ever done for God, with God in God ever before it's way beyond what other people have ever shown us but Abram shows us how. And he says, I will go and worship. I will be obedient to the word of the Lord. I will do what I've been doing these 25 years. I will do what he told me to do. I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll say what he wants me to say. That is faith. That is faith. And with a faith like that, God gives supernatural results. And even though it sounds like it's a little thing, for a lamb to be caught in the thicket with its horns and it couldn't escape, the Lord fulfilled Abram's words when he said to Isaac, the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. Supernaturally provided a lamb there instead of Isaac. But the apostles recognized that as supernatural that Abram even concluded, it's in Hebrews, he came to the conclusion after knowing God that even if he killed Isaac, 
God was able to raise him from the dead. Once again, so prophetic of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Abram gave his only begotten son to keep covenant with the Father, our Father in heaven has given his only begotten son, but this time sacrificed him on the cross and rose, raised him from the dead to establish the new covenant. We're done. Greater faith sees greater revelation. There are limits of revelation that you and I need to have our minds opened up. You can look at that sick person and you can see them too if you will just touch them and speak the words of faith. You can look at your circumstances and see them changed if you just speak the words of faith and say, I will align with the word of God and do what he has said. (laughs) It's a lifestyle of faith. I want you to stand, please. (laughs) Paul writes in Galatians, he says, Therefore, this new covenant is by faith, so that it might be by grace. Our faith takes hold of the grace of God and pulls the supernatural provision down. Whether it's a need in our own heart, in our own minds, in our own bodies, in our own circumstances, a need in the country, a need in the city, whatever it might be, if it's a need in the church, if it's a need for whatever, our faith has to take hold of the amazing grace of God to pull down his covenant provision by the power of the Spirit and in accordance with the promises in his word. Every promise is yes, amen, amen, yes. So you, who have been suffering with sicknesses or with pain, I want to pray that the Lord today should start to honor his word like he honored his word in Sarai's body. Supernatural. Supernatural. If you've got pain, if you've got sickness, the Lord wants to honor his covenant. Remember that the covenants are reinforced with the prophetic words. The scripture will be fulfilled. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. And by his stripes we are healed. There's people here with pain right now. I want to just ask you to lift your hands. Because we're going to pray. The Lord will heal your pain. Okay? So what I would like you to do is to come forward and ask the healing rooms and the one voice people that are uh, uh, here and the leadership to come and be ready to minister to you. We're going to pray, I'm going to pray uh, a group prayer and believe for the anointing because at the time from the first song, Nathan and the worship team, thank you. I felt that the anointing was here for the fire of God to release new anointings upon people. Amen. To release new anointings. Yes. Can I stand proxy? Yes. If you need to stand track proxy, you're welcome to come forward. Oh, Lord. There is so much more to this walk of faith, but these are the simple things.
Obedience to God's will. Keep doing what he said. That's alignment with God's will. Having our desires in him so that they're aligned with God's desires. And coming into agreement with him and with one another with his word. Those are the powerful principles of how this faith works. There's a whole other teaching on how you can release faith with the spirit of faith, which we don't know, need to go into now. But I want you to expect that God will do what he's promised. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our pains. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Repeat this. When evening had come, says, they brought many who were sick and who were tormented by demons. And he healed them all so that the words of Isaiah will be fulfilled. Surely he has borne our pains, carried our infirmities. And I want to tell you, Peter's suture in the Adam's walk, by his stripes,